Welcome to New Piney Grove Baptist Church, where one of our core values is Christian education. Let's tune in to this week's message. Guys, man, oh, thy great Jehovah, pilgrim through this barren land, I am weak, but thou art mighty. Hold me. With that powerful hand. Fathers, in Jesus' name, I submit my weakness to you this morning. All the battles that I face this day, you have given me victory. Now, God, as I sit myself to you, I pray that your spirit will fill me up. Let me decrease that you may increase, that I might rightly divide the word of truth. It's in Jesus' name that I ask. This morning embarks a uh, kind of something new for me in such a way as a communion Sunday, and normally this would not be a the communion Sunday message that... Uh, I would preach, but it's something that God has put in my spirit, and when we look at the theme, the focus of this month, we're talking about biblical judgment, and you heard Jeff this morning as he did his commentary, and if you don't listen closely, you may think that there's some contradictory here, but it's really not. And I pray to God also, I may not finish this one today. I may have to finish it next Sunday. Because again, contrary to what I normally do, this one is not as short as others. So whenever the Holy Spirit tells me that's enough for today, it will be enough for today. In addition to Revelation, we'll be coming from First and Second Corinthians as well as something from the Gospel of John, and however long the Lord takes. Judgment Day is something that people don't like to look at or talk about. No one enjoys going before a judge for any reason other than perhaps getting married. Many of us don't get married by judge anymore. I did, but that's the only enjoyable time that we may go before a judge. But the word judgment is recorded 406 times in the King James Version of the Bible. And since this much emphasis is on the word, it stresses the importance of the word. And if we believe that the Bible is the word of God, it would behoove us, or it's beneficial for us, 
to know as much about this thing that we call judgment as we can. So first of all, I wanted to bring this point out. In the Bible, judgment is related to the concept of God's justice. Say it again. In the Bible, judgment is related to God's justice. In all of his relationship with humanity, God acts justly. Mankind was created in the image and likeness of God. Therefore, every human being was created with the capacity or the capability to positively respond to God's requirement. And since God is just, he reacts either with punishment or rewards according to how his created being responds to his command. Judgment then can be simply defined as God's administrating justice according to man's behavior. Say it again. Judgment can be defined then as God's administrating justice according to man's behavior. This is known as divine justice or judgment. Let me put it in a different way. Divine judgment involves God's approval or disapproval of each human act. And it has to do with accountability of one's life when we stand before God. When our life is over. You have, may have noticed that the title of this message was Judgment Days, Prill. That was not a mistake. The reason is the Bible identifies at least two judgment days. And there's some debate about a third one. But the Bible clearly defined that there are two. But before we examine these two judgments, there are some other tools that I think we need to be aware of to put everything in proper perspective. There are going to be two judges. One is God. One is Jesus. There's going to be two defendants. The believers or the sheep and the unbelievers the goats. And now we talk about these two judgments. One judgment is known as the Bema. I'll explain it later. And the other judgment is known as Thonos. And when we examine these scriptures, several of them, it's going to be by Apostle Paul and then the Apostle John. Let us begin now. In our first examination, Paul warned the church at Corinth that no one is exempt from judgment, including those who profess a faith in Christ as Lord and Savior, you're not exempt from judgment. Both now and later, as we'll see. Therefore, since we're not exempt, we all live our life accordingly. I'm amazed at how people live life today, the culture of the country, 
it is, they have taken judgment completely out. They look at death as the last thing that's going to happen. So I can do what I want to do, and when I die, I'm dead. When you buy into this mentality, what you bought into is Satan has put blinders on us. Our first reference scripture comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I want to start reading at verse 10. And can we look at this very carefully? Paul has made a statement about something about himself. And then he says this in verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he has done, whether it be good or bad. Two words, all and everyone. You're in one of those groups. Now this term bima that I mentioned is the Greek word translated a phrase. Judgment seat of Christ. Let me give you a little history. The origin of the word refers to a platform, elevated platform, which the Greek philosophers would use in ancient Greece when they came to speak. The term bima was later used at the Olympic Games, where a judge would stand at upon an elevated platform at the end of the finish line of a race. And the purpose of his high and lofty position was for him to determine the position of the runners where they finished. First, second, or third. In order to give out the appropriate rewards for their efforts. This is the image behind the beamer. God who sits up high, who is high and lifted up, is able to determine our position and give appropriate rewards on how we finish the race. Bema, judgments in Christ. Only those who receive Jesus Christ as their Savior will appear before the Bema, where Christ will either give them rewards or lack thereof according to the things I mean the verse says things that's talking about works they have done now hold that pastor I know you don't told us we ain't saved by works y'all just keep that thought even if you have to wait till next week keep it <laughs> so since we go all and everyone is going to be judged at the bema Let's look at some possibility of what he's going to evaluate it as we cross the finish line. Now, I can't say for certain these are it. But I can say for certain these probably ain't all of them, if there is. First one. That will be judged at the beam is our spiritual life. Our spiritual life. Turn back with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as spiritual, but as to come, even as unto babes in Christ. I fed you with milk, 
and not with solid food. For unto now you were not able to bear it, neither yet are you able. For you are carnal, for while there is among you envy and strife, division, are you not carnal and walk as men? When I look at this passage, it reminds me of my Pentecostal background. Because Paul here speaks of babes in Christ. Oftentimes when you go to church and you see somebody making the loudest noise, I want you to think about a baby. Who cries the most? Y'all just keep that in the right perspective. Oftentimes when people raise a whole bunch of hell, they think they are spiritual when actually they ain't nothing but bathed in Christ. The word carnal means belonging to the flesh. When you get in an environment, you want everybody to think you're so spiritual, it pacifies your flesh. It's not pacifying your spirit. You can say hallelujah, praise the Lord all you want to. But you need to learn how to be humble without being false humility. Paul is saying, I wanted to give you more. But I couldn't. Word calm means belonging to the flesh. And it's in direct opposition of the spirit. And Paul illustrates this by using the example of human growth. Which brings out an important point. I don't care how gifted a pastor or a Bible teacher may be. It's impossible for carnal members to grow because of the limitation of their diet. If, 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 if you can't, put it this way, if you ain't got tea, you can't chew meat. Go on, Dave. Paul lists three things that's evident in every unspiritual church. First of all, he says envy. This word here means rival. It has to do with jealousy, but it's jealousy that caused you to rival or always have somebody that you are trying to speak against. He also uses the word strife, contention, fussy. Somebody always like to pick a fight. Somebody always like to argue. Number three is division. Split apart. Going in different directions. In other words, Dr. Dunbar, a clique. Factions in the church. And we have them in the body of Christ. Being carnal leads to sin and indifference. And there are three dangers of a Christian being calm. Three dangers. Number one, carnality saps the desire for serving God. Uh, can I put it in a different way? Carnality snaps the desire from coming to desire from coming to church. I, I'm going. I'm going. Going to bring another one out, but by its sapping desire, 
We're not giving God the glory that he deserves. My wife and I always talk about the fact that we don't always want to come to church on Sunday either. But it ain't so much about what we want as what we want to give God, which is his glory. Number two, carnality dilutes the spiritual power. Therefore, we become weak. And when we become weak, we become unproductive, which grieves the Holy Spirit. God gave us the Spirit to give us power, and we ain't using it. And number three, here we go. Carnality finds excuses. Thus it hinders spiritual potential, progression, and maturity. It sure is quiet in this place. The next thing that's going to be judged at the Bema is our spiritual labor. Verse 8 of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I have planted, Paulus water, but God gave the increase. So they, so then neither is he that planted anything, neither he that watered, but God that gives the increase. Now he that planted and he that watered are one. Now here's the judgment part of it. And every man, how many man? Every man, and this is generic, every man and woman shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. I want you to notice there's a process and a progression in this. Here's the point. Before God can give the increase, somebody has got to plant before God can give the increase, somebody else has got to water. If there is no planting, if there's planting without watering, or watering without planting, it's still nothing will grow. So our labor is connected together. I don't care how how, how much you want to, you need somebody else. You can't be a long range in this thing. And therefore, at the Bema, rewards will be granted according to our own labor of planting and watering. And let me give you a tip here. If you're called to water, just water. Even in nothing plant, water anyway. You call the plant, just plant. Even if nothing that grows, just plant. Because when you stand before God, He ain't gonna ask you why nothing to grow. He gonna ask you why didn't you water. And you some people say, I didn't water because they didn't plant. I didn't plant because nobody was there to water. Your spiritual labor will have you face to face with the master and give an account. Number three, our spiritual service or ministry, our spiritual service. First Corinthians chapter three, verse twelve. 
Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, stubble, every man work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work for what sort it is. If any man's work abides, which he has built thereon, he shall receive a reward. Hold it right there. The foundation that Paul is speaking of is Christian service. Christian service that's based on biblical principle of Jesus Christ as being the Son of God. The foundation then is solid. The foundation is sure. But Paul lists two types of material that you can build upon that foundation which related to work. They're either unperishable or they're perishable. Now, I don't know if you noticed, but I kept putting emphasis on it. It didn't say works. It said work. And by saying work, it's probably referring to your spiritual gift. And I want you to keep that in mind. It's talking about your spiritual gift. You see, because you can have a spiritual gift, but you're using it for your own glory. You, you, you using it to make money. You using it to get likes. But you ain't building upon the right foundation. Cause I often wonder, I often wonder, I hear people who, who make good money singing and playing and preaching. And I know somebody that can sing, preach, and play better than they can. So I often wonder, why ain't they making money? Because they didn't play the game. Because they building upon the right foundation. And when you build upon the right foundation, you may not be a millionaire. But one thing about it, when you stand before God, you can do something with confidence. Because it's going to be tried by fire. I know a whole bunch of people that don't stop preaching. Stop passing. Because the money wasn't right. That's the fire. I know a whole bunch don't stop because the people weren't right. But they ain't nothing but fire. I know a whole bunch of people don't give up on their marriage because they couldn't endure the fire. Anybody get married and think that they're going to have everything going every time right, you're going to get surprised. So married couples, every time you go through something with your spouse, it ain't nothing but fire. Can you stand? Okay. Fire is a symbol of purification. But it also used to test genuineness. 
And I'm going to stay with this marriage thing a, a, a bit. I love you forever. But then the fire comes. It burns that forever up. Y'all think my 54 years of marriage were always sweet and honey? Well, you're wrong. <laughs> Y'all think my honey is always sweet and smiling like she is every day? Well, she ain't. And neither am I. Talking with George Redden the other day. I said, me and my wife have problems. But I ain't. I ain't gonna, ain't gonna leave her. He said, we ain't gonna let you. <laughs> Fire will test whether you're real or not. And this pertains to every act of, of, of Christian service when it comes to your spiritual gift. Preaching, teaching, tithing, singing, service, something like giving to the poor, all of them are going to be tried at the beamer because God's going to ask you. That guy that was on the corner with the cup that you say in your heart, get a job. Might come up again. You wonder why you got that extra five dollars? In other words, whatever you do, it's going to be tried at the beam. Number four, our spiritual mission. So a lot of y'all don't realize you got a mission. The reason you're still alive, you still got something to do. We're going to go to 2 Corinthians now, chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. This word labor in this context, can be translated, should be translated as strive. It means to work very hard to accomplish the task. It's speaking of Paul's zealous zeal that he had for spreading the gospel on the mission field. And Paul is basically saying that he, the reason he worked so hard is that one day he too, because see, in, in verse 10, he said we all must appear, appear. And, 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 and the very thought of Paul standing before God with, 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 with him not fulfilling his mission wasn't pleasant. It caused him, therefore, to do his best. Look, look, look at, at verse 11 with me. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord. And, and I'm, let me put something in. Knowing the terror of facing the Lord. We persuade men. But we are made manifest unto God, and our trust also are made manifest in your conscience. The word terror here means to dread an unavoidable and in, 
impending confrontation by a high authority. Now, give you that meaning again. To dress is unavoidable. It's first thing. It's unavoidable. Number two is impending. It's something that's got to happen. What is that? Being confronted by high authority. How many of y'all was raised by strict parents? And how many, how, how many of y'all uh, know that when you had messed up and mama didn't found out about it? Or, or in my case, you can tell by how they call your name. Dave Orchard Wilcoxon! I knew right then I was in trouble. The terror that Paul faced caused him to do the best he could because he did not want to stand before God without completing his mission. So with the same zeal that motivated him to try to step out Christianity by persecuting the Christian, Paul used that same zeal to persuade people now to become Christians. I am so amazed at how... Now, salvation is supposed to change it. And, and, and let's just thank God for a change. But God changed it in the right way. See, this changed Paul's life, that Damascus road trip. And that's why the, the, one of the most popular verses in 2 Corinthians is, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Though all things become new. How is it that being loud in the club make you quiet in the church? I, I, I really, really don't get it. How is it being a, 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 an active sports fan also make you so passive in church? It's amazing to me that, that I, I, and I'll probably look at a little bit of the ball game tonight between Atlanta and Cincinnati when I get home and watch tape. And I'm going to see people out there now that they selling beer on Sunday in the ballpark. They're going to have their Heineken, their Miller Light, and their Bud Light. But them same folks that proclaim to be Christian won't come to church and drink Holy Communion? We all have a mission to persuade others who don't know our Lord and Savior to come to know him. But not with worries only. Our life, or I put it this way, our changed lifestyle, which is worthy of our calling, ought to be able to persuade men. That lifestyle will be judged at the beginning. And a lot of us think because we don't run the streets no more, that our lifestyle is all right. But what about your heart? What about your feelings toward another brother or sister? What about your critical spirit? What about your gossip?
So one thing that the social media has done is allow people to gossip in silence. You see, the saints of God should not be content with, I just want to make it in. That attitude. We should strive to hear those words, well done. Thy good and faithful servant, well done. And here's another thing. You don't compare yourself to somebody else. In the parable of the talent, he gave some five and some two. But they both got the same words. It was that one that didn't do nothing with what God gave him. That was condemned. All of those things will be judged. All four of them will be judged at the beam of. There's some debate as to the timing of this judgment seat of Christ, the beam. Some believe that it happens individually every time a Christian dies. Other things will be con- collective at an event known as the rapture. Now, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses are going to tell you that there's no such thing as rapture in the Bible, and they're right, because it's not found in the Scripture. But this is a Latin word, rapiro. These two words mean caught up. It's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It's where we get this word rapture from. And when we read verses 16 to 17, we can see that it's possible that the beam will occur after the rapture. Look at me at verse 16 of chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall be rise first. Then we who are alive and remaining shall be, what? Called up. Rapiro, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Folks, this is the end of time and the beginning of eternity. At this point, the final judgment will begin. And while Christians who accept the Lord as Savior will not be condemned for their sins at the Bema, what they did in this life will affect what happens at the judgment seat of Christ. Can I give you an example? Thursday night was the kickoff of the NFL, National Football League preseason. It's called the Hall of Fame game. At halftime, individuals were introduced. Those same individuals on that Friday night was inducted into the Hall of Fame. There's only a small percentage of NFL players that are inducted into the Hall of Fame. Now, they were given accolades. All the other NFL players just watched. They didn't get inducted. They just watched. In this Christian life, 
those who works survive the fire of the beamer will be given high honors. Those who works that are burned will just watch. So I'm saying to you, if you're a spectator now, you're probably going to be a spectator then. Before somebody go off half cock, Brother Jeff, let me just clear this up. Let me let you know what will not be judged at the Bema. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 15. If any man works shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved. Yet so by fire. The same fire that burns hay, wood, and stubble is going to also burn off every sin that you have. God reward those who perform good work in their spiritual life, their spiritual service or ministry, their spiritual labor and spiritual mission. But he does not kick out those who do not. So if you want to say, I just want to make it in, remember, you may suffer loss. For those of you that wonder in Revelation about where it says, and then he shall wipe away all tears, if you really read it carefully, you'll find out this is after certain events. So why are people going to be crying in heaven? Let me just submit to you as a possibility. Some going to feel so bad about not doing the work of Christ for instance, witnessing to someone else that you see go to hell, you're going to feel so bad, you're going to break down and burst in tears. Some going to see the Lord and our Savior so hurt because you didn't honor him, you're going to break down in tears. That's why he's going to have to wipe away all tears. So you can have if you want to. I just want to make it in. And that's all you're going to do. Just make it in. And we ought to want more. But there's something worse than losing your reward at the beam. I believe I'll go ahead and finish this. Was going to stop there, but I think I need to finish this. The Apostle Paul writes of another seat of judgment. And this seat of judgment going to have a different judge. All those who rejected the sacrifice and the saving grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on the cross will stand before this judge and this judgment seat. Revelation chapter 20 verse 11. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from those face, from whom face the earth and the heavens, 
fled away, and there was no place for them found. The term white, great white zone, is a translation of the Greek word thonos. Thonos means a stately seat. It's a symbol of power and authority. It is also rendered potentate. The Bible mentioned that he is the only illustrious potentate. And some of you that got some background that you perhaps shouldn't have know about that word potentate. Used over 40 times in the Bible, in book of Revelation, it means the throne of God. Look at verse 12 with me. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books. And Mr. Lee read that real good. He put an emphasis on that S. Were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the plural books. Now notice here what it says. According to their works with the nest. That means that every little thing that you've done, written down in that book. Some of the thoughts you have right now, I wish they would hurry up and shut up. Being written down. No place to run, no place to hide. Look what verse 13 says, and the sea gave up his dead, which were in there. And death, see how people say, when it's die, you're all over? No, it's what it says. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in there. And they were judged, every man according to their works, with an S. What's, what, what's my point? What, what's the heart of this message? There are two places where humanity will be judged. One, the judgment seat of Christ, the beamer. The other, the white throne, judgment, the throne. That's the judgment seat of God. At one of the other of these two seats, you're going to give an account. But you make the choice. You see, you can't choose when you die. You can't choose how you die. You can't choose where you're going to die. But you can choose where you're going to be judged at. But wait, Brother Brandon, there's more. Not only are there going to be two judges, two judgments, two defendants, there are also going to be two resurrections and two deaths. Verse 6 of chapter 20. Blessed and holy is he that has part in the first resurrection. On such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. That I can't go into all that. That's a different sermon. The saints of God will be a part of their first resurrection. And will be judged at the beam. Those who will take part in the second resurrection will experience also the second death. And this is the final judgment. To avoid being judged at the thonus, I know this is going to sound like a contradiction, 
There's a work you've got to do. That is a work that saves. Nobody saying anything. That's all I've been teaching, that you're saved by grace and by grace alone, not by works, lest any man suppose. And then the pastor up here said, you, that is a work that you've got to perform to be saved. Look at me with John chapter 6, verse 29. John chapter 6, verse 29. And Jesus answered said unto them, this is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he has sent. God, the creator of heaven and earth, sent his son, Jesus Christ, who willingly placed himself under the judgment of God in man's place. This is why Caleb was so excited. Jesus, the word of God made flesh, Receive divine punishment for me and every man through faith given by the Holy Spirit. A believer become one with Christ Jesus, thus he escapes divine judgment. Those who put their faith in Christ receive a, 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 a verdict of acquittal because it's already been paid. Finally, God in his grace not only sent his son to suffer the judgment that we deserve, but in his mercy he has delayed the found day of judgment so that you can repent by faith. He is coming back. And you're still alive. Remember I said you may face the beamer soon after you die or after rapture? Both of those events are going to occur. The question is, have you performed that work? Do you believe? Every first Sunday we got it here. A lot of people are taking it. But do you really believe? See, you must believe in your heart, not in your head. I'm through. I'm through. But you will. You will be judged. You just got to make a choice of where you're going to be judged at. Somebody said, Beamer, Arthonus, it's my choice. Let's stand. Thanks for listening. We pray that you have been blessed by the message. Visit us on the web at npgbc.org.
contact information, service times, or directions to our place of worship.